This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tech Girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Monday, November 18th, 2019. My guests are Sach Hagar oh. at Facebook. That, Did that, I say that right? Did that, I get it? That's, that's pretty close. That's impressive. Pretty close, right? <laughs> pretty close. That's, that was very impressive and, there. And Darren Miller of Fandroid. Hi, Darren. Hello. So how are you folks? Everything cool? Yeah, things are yeah, right. We're in sunny Tel Aviv. So we're in, yeah, we're in Tel Aviv and in, in Israel, in case for those of you who don't know. Uh, and, and we're at Facebook headquarters of Israel to talk about Facebook Lite. And that's why I have Sach with us right now. Because, well, tell us about Facebook Lite. Like, what would you tell an audience of tech-savvy, nerd, early adopter, phone geeks, they should do to their phone with Facebook. <laughs> right. So, so Facebook Lite is Facebook Android version that's built from the ground up at the beginning for emerging markets, but then grew to just serve a lot of different needs from uh, some low-end phones to bad connections or expensive connections. And then it also grew into just people looking for a simpler more straightforward experience. So it's not necessarily only the low end. It can actually be a high-end phone sometimes and, and a good connection. Uh, but they benefit from just having an experience that's simpler um, um, to go. Cool. So um, what obviously we know you created this app primarily for developing markets where performance is limited on the devices because of cost limitations mm -hmm. and data uh, performance and data caps, right? right. Limitations. Yep. But for the person who might have like a brand new Samsung Galaxy S10 mm -hmm. or something you know, modern, what would be the incentive in them installing Facebook Lite instead of Facebook, the regular app? Right. So, I mean, I think even when you look at the markets where you have the high-end phones and good connectivity and a lot of like, even in the US, you have places where connection is terrible, where you where you commute in places where the connection is not as good. Um, so these are obvious places where like can, can help uh, or when going abroad. Uh, and then, as I said before, um, the the full Facebook app attempts to always kind of like push the boundaries for new product experiences and, right. and, and challenge forward. And I think Light is trying to be more stable, take a step back, wait until it's fully adopted and understood. Um, so I think for some people, that's an advantage in itself. Yeah, so I mean, you're trying to make an app that will stay usable for a number of years without necessarily being updated because in yes. developing markets, you've, you've learned. And this was actually a very interesting takeaway from your presentation this morning. Tell us about what did you learn about the app that kind of blew your mind and didn't expect in terms of like updates and all the other stuff you put up on the slides. Right. So I think updates is a very good example where people sometimes never, ever updated their app before. Uh, a lot of people just get their apps from... Sideloading, right? From sideloading, yes. And even just copying from one person to another, they have apps to transfer that easily from one another. And when you do that, not only do you get stuck with the version you got, but very often it's a version that someone in your network got two years back, and that's the version everyone uses. And so to work in that environment, you have to make sure that you have ways to start from this very basic client version that's been out there for three, four years and still give a great experience. I think that's one of the things that Light does really well. And so in terms of... Uh 
what kind of surprised me is that, you know, some of the users, usage patterns you talked about how people don't use app stores at all because they, yeah. you know, downloads is something that's kind of foreign to them, mostly because of data, you know, caps and speeds and costs, right? And also they're not used to just discovering that way. I mean, for some people it's about how do I trust, how do I not to trust this? Oh, I right. trust it because my, friend's my friend it. is using right, it. Right. If they're not using it, I will never consider right. trying it. Yeah. And I think in that case, it's a lot of just people who are new to the technology sometimes or new to the internet. And that's like an extreme case where, you know, the world is scary yeah. when you're just yeah. starting out. Sure. Darren, what was the thing that struck you the most in the presentation? Struck me the most. Yeah. Just the sheer amount of... Um, churn from um users in general when you increase the uh yeah. the megabytes per app the drop off per percentage is uh, it was pretty insane yeah. I, mean, it, I didn't fully comprehend actually how many people would just not consider downloading something because it had an extra 4 or 5 megabytes on it and that to me was pretty interesting I must admit right i mean in the world of light, we've been able to see it even uh, influence download rates of when you increase by hundreds of kilobytes to nine megabytes, which is even more, even more extreme in, in our world. Um, and, you know, in some cases it's intentional. People just don't want to attempt something this big. In others, it just increases the odds that it will fail. You right, lose connection, right. you moved, you know, two steps to the left, yeah. or more people got into your cell tower and you Ooh. lost the connection and that's it. Um, so do you have a goal to produce like a a sub two megabyte, sub one megabyte? Do you have a an end goal or do you do you always strive to be less and less and less? That's a good question. I mean, today we're at I think one point four megabytes, mm -hmm. um, which is more than the so one we, megabyte we used to be. We used to be yeah. able to say we're under one megabyte. We wow. cannot say that anymore. Uh, but we are also uh, lower than the close to two megabytes that we spiked at some point. Okay. Oh wow, okay. And we're able to fight back. Um, but I think today, when we look at what are the biggest challenges for us, is not necessarily to decrease and optimize further, but actually to be able to stay static okay. as we introduce new high-end capabilities. Right. And so I think bring, that is our biggest new features and then maintain. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. people are content with 1.5, yeah. 2, and then you can keep introducing new features. I mean, obviously, they'd be happy with something smaller, but I think in the trade-off between like the new features that we can introduce and, and, and shrinking this, I think we've seen that we, we had a sweet spot um, where people are quite happy with that part of the It must app. be really difficult to push all that into something less than 1.5 megabyte. Yeah, that's why it's good. We have some smart people working on this. Yeah, really I mean, hard. It, it doesn't even compute for me. I, I'm not <laughs> at all that way minded, but it's pretty inspiring to see the passion, especially from, yeah, that's, from yeah. people. You know? That's what I got from your team today. Um, and so uh, for me, like, I'm wondering, is there some sort of like network effect you're seeing uh, in the network of people using the Facebook Lite app, wherein you can kind of drop off the cliff versions that are really old because you know that somebody on that network of friends who are sharing the APK are going to somehow update and pass that along to their friends so they can continue working? Is that happening? Or is it more like you say uh, after this Prior to this version, we cut them off. And like, how do you manage that when they're out there in Africa or deep somewhere in South mm -hmm. America and they suddenly their app doesn't work anymore? Yeah. So we never cut people off. Oh, wow. We, we just we just don't. I mean, okay. uh, our basic foundational premise is 
leave no one behind. That's step number one. Wow, that's amazing. Right? That's step number one. And I think the newer stuff is how do we keep doing that while keeping bringing in more of the higher end experience to the people that benefit. Um, and that goes back to, you know, we don't want just lowest common denominator, which was the approach at the beginning. This is what people imagine, right? They hear a light app, they think, oh, if it's a light app, it must be basic in every kind of way. And our view is that this is, uh, you know, people getting off easy. You know, if you right. just, if you build an app and all you do is just meet the minimal bar, then that's not, I mean, it's, it's cute, but that's not very impressive. I think the challenge is uh, going to someone that has super fast connections and a bad phone or the reverse, and they each get their own tailored ideal experience. And that is what we're working hard to. Yeah. It was interesting to hear that because we don't experience it generally, certainly in Europe and probably the States as well, mm. always having a fast internet connection. We don't get the, the prompt. If we were ha to mm -hmm. say we were having a bad day or week <laughs> and um, there would be a prompt there to say, Hey, you're having bad trouble here on your internet connection. Why don't you try Facebook Lite or, mm. or another light app? So, I mean, it's, uh, it's cool to, cool to know that that's sort of built in as an option for people. And, yeah. you know, sorry, I was kind of getting the impression that having talked to you off uh, podcast as well, you really want to give people the, the choice. And that seems to be a big thing. Yeah, I think for that's I think that's the key yeah. thing. I think choice is the number one thing yeah. where we don't just decide for everyone you must use this or that. You know, we do the best that we can with these principles and then we let here's, it out and hey, yeah, here's, here's the product. Exactly. Yeah. And we actually learn from that signal. So that's yeah. how we know what people need more on the light side, what they may need more on the on the regular app side, yeah. right? So we both learn from the experiences on the other app as well. Can you, yeah, I was going to say can you take data from Facebook fat version to um, see what and know what their data rate is so that in turn you can then take products from that app and take to light so that you know which products are being avoided on the full full fat version of Facebook. Yeah, I mean, we try to carry as many learnings as we can, especially yeah. when you talk of performance yeah. instrumentation, for example, when you try to understand like where we are. And in some ways, I think it's, it's just even helpful to have that um, not really competition because we all work together of course but when you have uh, one side pushing the envelope and making something a higher bar you know it's kind of like oh it's possible now we're going to do that too and and i think it goes in both ways for both teams okay and i think that's what's so kind of exciting give and take from both yeah so sure. so you know, it sounds like there's like a obviously a, mild, a mindfulness to the engineering behind the app so that you can support the oldest possible mm -hmm. version at any given time right i mean um i used to work in software I don't want to get too technical on this mm -hmm. podcast because it's not, it's going to be off topic for our, our listeners, but like, how do you manage to do that? Like that is a quite, I mean, I, I know that it's more of a, like, um, you know, server based, mm -hmm. uh, the States are on the server more. Right. So like, is that, is that how you achieve that? The ability to have, have a very thin client on the, on the, on the device. But then there's of course the challenge is that if you need to get data off the internet to mm -hmm. update the client, then there's more data to pass around, right? So, right. so like I'm I'm kind of curious how you manage to to be that backwards compatible, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it's a good question. When we started looking into this, uh, you know, when 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 someone new joins the team, actually, they're always surprised <clears throat> because you would expect there to be a trade-off. Like, you must be giving up something. Like, if you're using more of the in, more of the data connection. I mean, if you're doing something on the server, there must be more data usage in the reverse. Um, but we, 
what the team has been able to pull off is a combination of, of both, where by leveraging some of the concepts on web architecture and combining that with, with how a native app will be developed. Um, and again, not being too technical, but I think um, um, the, the big thing is that, in a sense, the server is a part of the user session. Right. Right. So a normal app, the session is on the client and it just asks questions from the server to show things. And in light, the whole thing, like the server is a part of it. So it's aware of what the user has and what's data it's seen. So it doesn't have to resend unnecessary things. Right. It can be very efficient in doing all those things. Um, and so the architecture is quite complex, but once you pull it off, you actually have those, this win-win where you don't need to update the client to get new, new product code. Um, you don't need a high-end phone because most of the heavy lifting is on the server. Mm-hmm. And you don't take a lot of data because you know what the client already has, so you're much, much more efficient in picking and choosing the right things to send over the wire. And you don't send anything you don't have to. All right. Um, Which kind of makes me question then why is Facebook not just one app? Just make everything that simple, that easy, that clean, small. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the answer that, for me at least, is that when you want to push forward fast and introduce the latest things fast, both product, but also tech. You need size. Yeah, yeah. And it's very hard to work under these constraints. Sometimes if you think about it, it can really hurt your creativity. If you're limited, if you say, I cannot test unless it's four kilobytes. Yeah. Right. And how do you, you know, sometimes it's not the most important thing. Start, when you start big. off. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so these are examples for things where you would always get it first on the full app. And, and, you know, some of the creative tools and advanced, masks and effects that you can have when you when you're you know building your content that's something that will always be more difficult for us to innovate at that same speed and is it exciting when you can make something from the the um normal facebook app and bring it through yeah, yeah of course, no that's yeah. that's the that's the most exciting thing yeah, that's, we, that's the end goal like yeah. yes when we you know whenever we reach a milestone where there's something that was to us obvious that ah, this will never be on light and then we launch it that's Super exciting. Let's go. Yeah. So in terms of like functionality, for those people who are listening to this and going like, okay, maybe I should install the Facebook Light app and try it out or whatever. I mean, I'm running it right now on a OnePlus 7T with really good (laughs) internet connectivity and it's actually really great. One of the things I discovered that I thought was really nice is Messenger is built in, so I don't need a separate app for that. Um, And of course, Stories work, which is really important Mm -hmm. for a lot of people. I mean, I kind of expected it would because that's a huge part of what Facebook is today. Um, but you know, what can we expect to like, I know that the dating stuff for the U S mm-hmm. isn't in there, but like, what can we expect to like, if, if you're the average user that's in North America or Western Europe, mm-hmm. what can they expect to be missing in light right now? Like right. it can be even th- small things. Like I know you're missing some of the sound effects or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So I think there are a few things. One, um, um, as you said, dating and some of the new, uh, products, products are not there yet. Um, we don't have some of the creative tools. So if you want to really invest in your story and do everything you can, you probably are not going to have all of the same things that you would have in the in the regular app. Right. And the third thing, which I'm not saying it's necessarily missing as much as it's different, is just the design, right? So we are yeah. got, we're accustomed to a certain design. 
which is built on our understanding of how buttons look and how you can interact with almost anything. We have this clean look that uh, for other people is extremely confusing. Yeah, because you don't know there's a button there if, you, Precisely. if you're just a new user to the smartphone world. Right? Precisely. Yeah, you yeah. see a floating you know, thumb up icon. What do you do with that? Like, How do you know to do something with that? Yeah. Do you weave at it? What exactly, you know? exactly. So, so I think that is a, more of a difference rather than um, better or worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I guess it depends on, on your preference. Yeah. So here's a crazy question. I don't think anybody's asked this yet in our session because we have a whole bunch of media here in case you're wondering, listeners. Um, is, is there any chance there'll be a Facebook light app for uh, iOS for those people with old iPhones? That's a good question. So actually there is one that's currently being tested in, I think, 13 markets. Oh, okay. Um, so it actually exists right now. Uh, it's... Uh, we did discuss it publicly. We're not, you know, it's still in testing, so we haven't gone very broadly about this. But, but definitely, I think the same way that on FB Lite Android, we started with the big emerging markets and then we rolled out globally. Yeah, I think the way we look at it is to is is to first identify where the biggest need is. That's where we put the effort first. Mm-hmm. And once we have something good going, that's when we can go more broadly. So iOS is a good example where the audience is potentially smaller. Uh, on low-end uh, iPhones, right? Yeah. But they will still benefit a lot. And then yeah, you still, I mean, you, have, you like also light. have the distribution issue, right? Like you have to distribute it to the app store. That's true. But yeah. but people people find often things they need. Yeah, yeah right. Um, there are ways and means. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, as um, as phones get older and they get passed on, uh, recycled, sent to other places, people often find themselves particularly with iPhones, older Android phones, mm-hmm. um, in emerging markets, buying second-hand, third-hand phones. So to have the option there, yep. especially for an iPhone user, you know, would be great as well. So Yeah, I mean... Because then they we, can just jump straight on it. And, we agree. Yeah. We definitely agree. We want to we want to be wherever we're needed. I mean, that's the that's the end of... That's the story. Be everywhere. <laughs> right, yeah. we're not... Yeah, it's... Um, it's it's we, we view ourselves as like to, to, to solve a problem. Like yeah. there's a need. Let's serve the need. That's that's our mindset. So speaking of this, is more of a mention than a question, but there is a KaiOS version of Facebook yes. that is based heavily on Facebook Lite, I found out today. I mean, I knew there was a KaiOS version of Facebook, but I didn't realize it was based on Facebook Lite. So. Yes, it, it is. It, it's, uh, it's pretty recent. It's a few months old, and it's based completely on the Lite architecture, which means that from day zero, I think that's the big benefit that we see in the short term. They get everything that we built for the regular light audience. It means that over time, as the product progresses, they will continue to do that. Um, and, and again, I think that's, that's key where, um, you know, to respect the people on, on KaiOS, one of the key things is not just to have something cool quickly out there that's going to get dated very quickly and not going to do well, mm-hmm. right? The, yeah. the, the focus was on building, just enabling the same kind of abilities as, as close as possible uh, for the long run. And, th- and I'm very proud of the work the team did, did there. Um, one thing that you brought up in your slides that was interesting to me as well was that some you, you observed a pattern of use for developing uh, markets where they will log off and turn off the data yeah. once they're done using an app or whatever. So my question is to you is like, how much interaction do you have with the user to give them control over how much data they use? I mean, there's obviously the built-in Android mechanisms, yep. right? But uh, some of the older versions of the OS don't have that. And I'm kind of wondering like, how opportunistic are, is the app, if it's even allowed to run in the background, to go fetch data with the user's permission 
um, while the app is not necessarily being used because it's anticipate, it's like, oh my God, I got a fast internet connection. Right. Let's go and get that stuff that I'm missing, you know? That's a good question. So I think we're very, we're extremely sensitive to that. So mm -hmm. a good example would even be autoplay, mm -hmm. where we, you know, we avoid right of now course. autoplay on. It's one of uh, the main reasons I use light. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, 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 but, but we really see this as, as a key principle because, yeah. uh, you know, if you have autoplay without the necessary controls and kind of like the mindset where the user expects us to be uh, more conservative in data usage, um, I think that's, I mean, that's a very good example for, for how we, we, we overemphasize that side. Um, and I think the other side is control. Right. Um, so any solution that we approach and going forward, we will obviously want to introduce more features that may depend on more data consumption. Sure. And that's where we'll need to make sure control is very deeply ingrained into that. So that if you're accidentally turned on some kind of advanced feature, then one, you will know that it's potentially costly and two, to be able to easily turn it off. Um, so do you find that within Facebook as a larger organization, you're kind of moderating and kind of in a way being a, a very ethical player in the sense of like, you're like for me, I think the autoplay not being the default should be on every app. And, and you know, some companies do it because they want it, it, it brings more ad revenue and whatever, mm -hmm. right? So, do you feel like you're sometimes having to fight the good fight and convince people higher up that it's like, hey, you know, we can't have this feature because, you know, it's, it's not only a data hog for our customers yeah. and put them off and we want to keep them, but also it's like not really the most ethical thing to do. Does that ever come up? It's an interesting question. I, I have to say that I don't feel that I need to educate anyone or push. So that's good. I mean, it, it really is a case where if a feature like that was discussed, I will actually get asked questions like, did you consider it seriously? Like, is this... Right. So I think... So you're not running... You're, you're, you're not getting pushback from high up or no, anything? No, no. If anything, if anything, I'm being second-guessed when I want to uh, increase and, and introduce new things. Which is a good thing. It means That's that we fantastic. did a good job. Yeah, it means absolutely. we did a good job at the beginning to uh -huh. kind of set a baseline. And now we're being challenged back. Yeah, yeah I, I have love a, it. My VP asked me about APK size. If I was to show them two megabytes, they, they won't be very happy. And, no, and that's yeah, the kind yeah. of thing you wouldn't expect a VP in Facebook to be concerned about. And <laughs> that's yeah. my point, yeah. Yeah, you, but, but, put, but... Put more in there, put more in there. <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah, but they actually are. And, and again, it goes to this trade-off, as we said before, between, you know, some would say that also holding back on some features and creative abilities also hurt people, right? So there's like this trade-off where they are more biased into introducing new, new tools there and we are very, very careful about not doing that until we're certain. If you like, it's more, it's, it. it's a more refined version. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like, it's more different approaches uh, yeah. to, to serving people. One question that came up a lot today was the um, preloading of Facebook Messenger, things like this on new devices, um, which was an interesting answer you had for it. Um, but um, during lunch, uh, we were actually thinking about an idea, actually, and it would be more of a an app launcher that you download. Mm -hmm. So a Facebook light suite, if you like, like they do with other products. And if you have a good connection or a bad connection, mm -hmm. it will prompt you to to say hey you've got a great connection mm -hmm. on a good network here's the here's the app for you if you want this one here, here it is yep. and then it obviously pulls the the you know the right app from the 
from the air <laughs> mm-hmm. and um and gives the user the choice at the point of yep. uh, of purchase i guess yeah i mean that's a that's an interesting direction we are looking in we're evaluating all the possible options, right? Yeah. So it really depends you on who you are. You heard it first. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, we're looking at all, at all options, yeah. right? Because when you look at the world... Because first somebody has to go to the Play Store, and then they have to go, I want to I want to install Facebook. Right. And then they go, uh, they just pick Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, then they have to think, well, actually, I want that smaller version mm-hmm. that's Facebook Lite. But if you had, obviously, one app that's they gave you the options there, this right. one's small, this one's big, this is full feature, this one's yes. light, you know? I mean, I think it all feeds back into choice where that is made up of, a, I, I see it as two things. Mm. One is awareness yeah, and the other is friction, right? So any solution that you pick that delivers choice means that people need to be aware. So that can be either a launcher like this or promotions within the app yeah. on the web or wherever you may, may have them. So that's problem number one. And then you need a solution that effectively will have the least friction. Yeah. So one of the issues, potential challenges with a launcher is that it can be like two downloads, Mm. And it can be. It's a two-step. Yeah, right. You want to make it. So again, it, it's not like it. It obviously is a, a, like a viable path, but we always look at all those options in these two lenses, like making sure yeah. that we're dealing with awareness and then providing options yeah. that reduce friction. And together, so you, you get want choice. One click and then retention. Exactly. How do you do? Yes. How do you do that effectively? Yeah. Like the best way. It's so hard. Since anymore. you don't. Yeah. Since you are pretty update agnostic, I guess. Do you ever prompt people and say, would you like to update and do in-app updates? Like, can you do a force or yeah. not force, but like suggest? Yeah, I mean, we do suggest updates. So if you want to get, for example, um, you know, when we added support for a live video module, mm-hmm. uh, that is like a new capability that needs to, depends on OS integrations, et cetera. You couldn't do that with the old versions. Uh, but the the thing we want to make sure is to always like, so all the, product that doesn't require extensions keeps on working right so there is value there are advantages there's this we also you know performance gets improved with every version so we do a lot of performance improvements yeah. we try to shrink the app further we so these are the things that come with a client but most of the product logic so the it doesn't change it doesn't right? change and even if tomorrow we were to launch dating for example that would automatically work all the way back to the first client okay wow cool. probably one last question for you. Um, I'm I'm kind of wondering about uh, in terms of the the contrib. I know that the part of Facebook Lite uses some open source contributions, right? Okay. Like you've probably over the time by developing this app have found new creative ways of solving engineering problems. How much of that stays in house? How much of that gets open sourced? And how much of that gets maybe stays in house and use gets used for maybe future apps like a hypothetical, uh, you know, Instagram light or something like that. That's a good question. So I think that the number one thing is knowledge sharing. So internal, obviously, we do it a lot, and 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 it's not a secret place. We don't have like right. a secret Facebook light spot where we don't share with IG Why not? and Everyone the rest of Facebook. a secret place. Well, I have a secret place, <laughs> okay. but I don't keep the <laughs> secrets there. I just, yeah. right. I just hang out there. So I mean, we do share knowledge across and also in the industry all the time because we think it's it's we really do think that doing light the right way is very important for the industry we really think that so that's that's one um the other side is um some of the libraries also that we use and 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 work with are internally built but they get a lot of their traction from light so we actually in a sense we are their main or biggest product and then they get pushed out, and you know they're you know you're familiar with um, you know uh, React and other products like that. So all those technologies 
in Facebook at some point in time were tested, were working with online or not. And that contributed a lot to that product. Right. So it's, I think it's a lot, most, most of our contributions so far have been the improvements and the push that we made to those Facebook platforms that would then get out, like, uh, yeah, sent out. Totally. Well, Sach, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, Thank you for I want to kind of, yeah, I want to kind of end by saying, and I'm sure you'll agree, Darren, that you've been using the Light app for quite a while. I will if exclusively use it. If you are listening yeah. to the show, consider, and you're using Facebook, consider trying the Facebook Light app. Um, I've been using it for a bit too, and I feel that it's just, I feel for me at least, it's a better experience. No autoplay. And, and more, <laughs> but also, you know, I think for some people, it's going to be a little difficult because they're used to a certain design. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, if you use Facebook, and you want to try something a little bit more light in, in, in every way, not just in large, but like light-footed. Like, it's like mm-hmm. driving a lightweight car compared to driving a heavy car. It's just a very different experience, and it might be a very cool experience. So try it out. I've always been fascinated by it, but not really that convinced about mm-hmm. it until this trip, and I decided let's consciously try mm-hmm. using the app. And now I'm like, yeah, I think this is cool. And and I feel like I've learned so much from this experience. So thanks for having me here. But, you know, c- keep up the good work. It's, it's thank great you. stuff. And thank yeah. you for coming. Thanks. Back in the studio here for a minute uh, to record a quick interlude. Uh, while we were doing this podcast in Tel Aviv, which was very early this week, uh, some news landed that I felt was important enough to cover after I returned from Israel. Uh, John Ledger is stepping down as T-Mobile's CEO in um, next year, in 2020, May 1st to be specific, his uh, right-hand man, Mike Sievert, will be replacing him, uh, the CEO of the company. So, yeah, big news. Uh, as you know, John Ledger has been running T-Mobile into a very, very successful business in the last, uh, I don't know, few years, seven years or something like that. And, uh, you know, has done some really big changes to the industry. Uh, because of it, he's really helped the mobile industry in the U.S., the, the carriers, the operators, be competitive. And I think that's been very helpful. So obviously, it's a bummer that he's leaving. I'm sure he's going to be up to some interesting new things. Uh, and he might still stick around long enough for that T-Mobile Sprint merger, whether that actually happens or not. It looks like it will be happening, though. So so there you go. That's that's a bit of news that I felt needed to be mentioned on the show. And so now let's resume back in Israel. So what do you think, Darren? Cool? Yeah. Facebook Lite? You've been using it, right? I have. I've so, probably been using Facebook Lite now for a year. Um, uh, Messenger Lite also alongside it. I, I actually started Messenger Lite because I didn't like the adverts and the, everything else that came with it, all the pings and... You know, yeah. so I wanted a stripped back version. I've actually kind of reduced my Facebook usage yeah. um, over the last few years. Do you think years that's because well. of the app or purposely, consciously? Consciously, okay. Yeah. And so I mean, I've only been using it for like a few days now. And, you know, I'm, I, I've, I like it. Um, it's different. The design's different. It takes a bit of getting used to. Uh, but at the same time, everything is where you, more or less you expect it. And it, everything seems to work okay for my uses. Um, what was the big thing that you noticed was different for you that took you a little bit of getting used to um, that was maybe not necessarily a positive? Like the autoplay is obviously very nice. Yeah, it's have. brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think um, when I when I first started using it, the it was obviously in its 
infancy or more so being a year ago or, or so so there were certain features that are available now that weren't available then also things like um adding a photo um to a post was slightly different and um video worked slightly differently as well so i mean having been here and seen the process that they go through uh, to improve things yeah has been a an enlightening experience because now that those things are available, you can kind of understand the roadmap of how they got there and, and what they have to go through to bring those features into a, you know, an app that's less than two megabytes, but has all the features of Facebook. So yeah, it's interesting. So let's talk about some of the news of the week. I know it's early in the week, so bear with us. You're probably going to get this show towards the end of the week. There might be some other news this week. I'll make sure to cover it next week. Um, you're a big HTC guy. You work at Fandroid with, with Nick, right? Yes, correct. And Nick has got to be the number one HTC fan in the oh, world. I'll, I'll fight him for it. I mean, you guys can fight over it, but my point is, yeah. you know, you gather both up there. Yeah. And so it struck me as somebody who has covered many an HTC phone over the years and has enjoyed many of an HTC phone over the years that we got this tweet, right? by Drew Bamford of HTC about... Out of nowhere. Yeah, what, which HTC pass phone would you like to see revived? I think this is riding on the coattails of last week's uh, Moto Razor you it know, sounds, it an, sounds announcement. A well-timed tweet, right? I think, yeah. So you, we, uh, Nick wrote about it on Fandroid. I'll link the story in the uh, show notes. Yeah, I covered What's it I covered it as well back in January. Um, What's your takeaway? I, I, mean, put, I put the feelers out to my network of Twitter followers and Instagram followers who were, or who still are predominantly HTC fans. So I said, I focused um, primarily on the HTC one M seven. Yeah, Cause of it course. was kind of the one I want to. Yeah. It's kind of the, it's the one, it was the first aluminum all body proper all body um from HTC. It worked really well. It was a fantastic phone. Um it it virtually indestructible. I think I dropped mine more times than I care to imagine. One of the first Android phones with optical image stabilization. Is that right? Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean the Ultra Pixel camera had four megapixel which is uh, low in terms of detail and you but know, it also I, had the ultra pixel, yeah. But it had ultra pixels yeah. that were two two microns, and at the time that was a big deal. That combined with OIS, which was the first on Android, or at least not the first, but one of the mm, earliest. Yeah, it it made good low light performance. Now you Fantastic, lost some detail yeah. in daytime, which is why today we have phones that are twelve megapixels OIS and large pixels. So basically, HTC kind of wrangled the entire industry to go to large pixels. NYS. They kind of and, pioneered that, yeah. And to me, that's why the M7 sticks out. I mean, not to mention the really good unibody metal the design. design yeah. and, and it was something that nobody had ever seen. speakers that few people yeah. had done before. I mean, there's so much. But so what do you think? I mean, obviously, we agree that M7 would be a good candidate to bring back. I think so. Um, but I, I think... I'm also a huge fan of the Desire Eye as well. The desires in general for me, the desire six eight sixteen is one of my favorite. Yeah. If you look at today's Pixel Four, that that you know, it looks like like not the camera, of course, design is very different, yeah. but the 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 curvature of the design, the back panel. The, I think it's got more know. in keeping with the Desire Eye, um, with the t- sort of the the two tone totally. and the yeah. surround. The uh, the I'm gonna read the tweet so people know what I'm talking about. So Drew Bamford of HTC tweeted, "Which classic HTC phone would you like?" to see us bring back with today's technology. 
that's a very heavy loaded thing. My my gut feeling is I would love to see them, in a way, kind of doing a retrospective, but bringing you know giving us what the Pixel Four should be. Like think about this for a second. Give it, you know, give it a similar price point, but with more storage, a bigger battery, and a a third uh, ultra wide camera. Yeah, which I think is kind of the minimal to pass to minimum to pass a flagship test today and which is lacking right now on the of course this would not be a pixel it wouldn't have a pure android experience it would have a uh what we've seen on the htc uh 12 or they, plus, could, they or, could go android one or android one yeah. yeah but the bottom line is that's i think where they should go right now that would be interesting i mean htc is kind of irrelevant as a phone maker i hate to say I, that i kind of tend to agree so it's not going to save them no matter what they do but i think it could create some buzz Buzz, but is buzz enough? I mean, it, that's the that's the number one question, really, isn't it? I mean, it's fantastic to hear so, certainly somebody like Drew come out and ask that question, but is he a year, two years late at asking that question? I mean, the other question is like with the M7 design today, how is that realistically feasible? Look, if you look at if you look at you know another Scott Croyle, right, left yeah. HTC to go. Uh, next bit of course and then next bit got acquired by razor so if you look at the heritage there the lineage you have the m7 which if you morph it into something more square or oh maybe blend it with some desire polycarbonate designs you end up with the next bit robin it's a very squared off but it's got the dual front facing speakers yeah right and now they took a lot of and what now was you good. take that yeah. and you turn that into a aluminum unibody Right, so you take the M7 kind of formula squared away, and you get the Razor Phone, Razor Phone, and Razor Phone Two. But that's not what people want today. People don't want be- they don't want bezels, they don't want chins and foreheads, they no. don't want they want front facing speakers, but they want them to be like tightly integrated in an ultra th- like. Pe- people don't know what they want. I, I mean, think it's the best way to see the HD12 uh, Plus, right? The one you're using yep. still, um, which is the last flagship that we got in the US. If you look at that phone, it has way too much bezel. So imagine what an M7, you know, modern version of that would be. And, and not only that, if you look at the fact that we all expect glass backs, yeah, it's. I don't think you can make. Personally, I don't like glass. Yeah, I wish I well, wish the glass would go away. I personally don't mind, but I'm just saying, like, if you want to make a phone today that has wireless charging, NFC, all that stuff, glass back, it kind of makes more sense. So it I'm makes more ten- sense, but it's not impossible to do it with. Aluminium. But I'm almost tempted to suggest that HTC remake the the HTC One X, okay, which yeah. was a polycarb phone, because then at that point you can I do really enjoy a modern machined yeah. polycarb interpretation. Well, the, the Pixel Three A and Three XL is a perfect example of how polycarbonate is is a perfectly viable. Yeah, you know. Um, oh, absolutely. But I mean, material. that doesn't feel. The thing is, they're trying to replicate the look and feel of the bigger, like the more expensive three and three XL. Yeah. Because it feels like the same glass back, although it's plastic back. It feels thing. the same. What yeah, I texture. want is somebody who mindfully designs a phone to be polycarb. Okay. Today, like you remember how the the One X when it came out, we were all like, "Oh, polycarb!" Like they basically followed Nokia, which at the time was making unibody machine polycarbonate phones. Right. There is something super elegant about unibody machine polycarbonate. People... Yeah, it's nice. It's very different than mold. Like, the difference is that the Pixel 3a, the 3a and 3a XL, they are actually, if you look carefully, they are not machine polycarbonate. Okay. They are molded polycarbonate that's been machined. 
Okay, right. I so they, they are very beautifully made for yeah, a plastic lovely. phone. Yeah. But they don't have that density you get with like a Nokia or the HTC One X There's or a... the Desire series even. Like they had this really interesting density. Yeah. And so I'm not sure like if we can adapt the M7 formula to a modern design. I think we have a better chance to adapt the the One X or Desire formula to a modern design, which is kind of where it goes back to what I suggested. Take the Pixel 4 4 XL, fix all the flaws and launch that as an There's HTC There's so many things that could be done though. I mean, yeah. the, I mean, there could be, you could take the, the aluminum rim and, and have a, a polycarb uh, infill with everything inside. Yeah. It makes two mediums. Well, why not? You know, then yeah. you'll have glass polycarbonate aluminum frame. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, something new. I mean, all I have to say to Drew, if you're listening, Drew, I hope you're listening because you're, we're, both, we're both. Just don't do as dirty, Drew. We're both Porsche <laughs> fans. So that there's, there's that it links us in, as well as HTC uh, fans. Uh, if you're listening, Drew, I would say surprise us with something new and delightful that'll bring back the spark we experienced when we saw the M7 and use the M7. It's not just a matter of making a phone that is competitive. It's making a phone that stands out. And you used to be able to do that. I hope you can do it again. Right? I would have to agree. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I want to uh, talk to you about, because you cover a lot of IoT stuff, right? IoT, uh, yeah. home automation. Home automation um, is kind of my bag. And so we, we, I saw a story that kind of surprised me, because I, I live in a you know, world where in every major room in my house, not every room, but every major room, I have both a, a Google Home device and an, uh, an Amazon Alexa device, simply because... Some things work better with one, some things work better than the other. Yeah. And um, I've always thought that since the Google Home Mini came out last year, or the Nest Home Mini today, uh, that Google took a big chunk of market share. And it looked like they were number two for a while. This, this piece of news uh, came from Android Central, but I think it was reported by someone else originally, that says that Amazon now dominates the smart speaker sales. Uh, There's not, nothing new, but Amazon's... Uh, sorry, like Google sales have fallen significantly. They're like number four now after Alibaba yeah. and Weibo. Yeah, well, the figures were something like... Um, 30%, uh, 40% fall. 40% fall, but Alexis market share is 40% up. So, I mean, is that a direct yeah, I mean, link? or No, but for sure. But what do you think is going on there? Do you think that it's just poor marketing on Google's part as usual? It's getting a product in front of people's... In, in front of people, it's, it's, it's simple. Do you uh, think that Amazon's just giving away Echo Dots with pretty much every purchase you make? Almost at this point, is they can afford to, but then, things? but then so can Google. Um, yeah, but the problem is Google doesn't have an, a, an, a storefront like no, Amazon correct. Does. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, you, you have to understand in the U.S. right now, Whole Foods it's it's a supermarket chain of yeah. like a more fancy, you know, uh, organic type produce. Are they were bought by Amazon a while back, and they literally sell Echo Dots at the, at the checkout register line. You know? Oh right, okay, as and, an impulse buy. Yeah, as yeah. an impulse buy. But not only that, but they spend a hundred bucks. That's get how a free important dot. Amazon is. Like it's not just it's not just like buying you know your your USB cable that you're missing, it or buying your supplies for you know for your laundry room. This this people are literally grocery shopping at Amazon physically in store at the Whole Foods stores in it's, the US now. So th there is so much opportunity for Amazon to sell these. From things. a European perspective, that's quite a wild 
thing to comprehend. I mean, and there's Amazon Fresh too. We have delivery as well. Oh, really? You can okay. gro- order groceries and have it delivered by Amazon. Well, this is this is Amazon's whole ethos, though, isn't it? Amazon want to be the only store place, uh, storefront that you go to, um, be it online, uh, in person. You know. Yeah, I mean, we even have. We even have uh, this crazy Amazon, whatever it's called, app, which where it lets you deliver things and have them delivered in an hour. Uh, Prime Now or something. No, Prime yeah. Now, that's it. Which which is insane. And then they've also got drone delivery coming That's as how well, I ended so. up with a giant bag of five kilos of gummy bears. As you do. Because there's a minimum order. Okay, like, so you yeah. have to spend $30 <laughs> or something. And I was like, I needed this one cable or something. Add and then some I, gummy bears. I was like, how do I get to my $30? Oh, one kilo bag of I'm sure I'm sure they told bear. you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can add this um, product. So, I mean, no, seriously, like you, you, you look at this IoT market a lot, both in Europe and the US, I suppose, because you're writing about it. What do you, do you, what is your gut feeling tell you? Is this just poor marketing on the part of Google or is just, Amazon's just decimating and eating Google's lunch. I think, well, it's a, it's a mixture. Yeah, the Google is really good at Google is a software company. Their hardware is fantastic hardware, but for some reason they've just never been able to crack the hardware market. People have this preconception, perhaps that Google hardware isn't good. I don't know. Maybe they've heard it from somewhere. Um, personally, I prefer google over um amazon products the thing me too yeah i mean the only yeah. amazon product i really have is a fire stick but the only thing that bugs me about um, about google's latest uh well about two things google's home product a lot of them don't have a headphone jack output which the Correct. echo dot does yeah so in fact there's a new echo product that's just an analog output and bluetooth i can't remember and if you the can new, pair um, any devices to if it. the new nest mini has a Three and a half inch. So jack. that's what I'm saying. It, it does. I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I think it, there was rumors that there worse, was going. The second yeah. thing I was going to say is now the the latest Google or Home Mini or Nest Mini doesn't even have a a, a micro SD or USB C connector. It's using a proprietary cylinder connector to save money. You know, like a coax power connector. That's not true. I, I, I'm not sure, but I heard that's the case. I, I don't think that's true. Well, there's one of the major speakers. <laughs> it's that, not, certainly not something I've picked up on, but it's maybe I'm not something I've sure looked for. I'm pretty sure that when I was at the Google event in in New York recently, where they launched a Pixel, that I saw that. That would be a like, wild step back if it was. Well, I Which feel, is maybe why they're in this. I feel the same way, but this is my point. You, you're the IoT guy, so I've, I'm thinking, like, this is the kind of stuff that I think is silly, right? Like, why not add a headphone jack, and why not keep the right connectors in? And make things better, but anyway, they we'll did, see. They did improve the speaker. I mean, the speaker is nice as a nicer speaker. I I would like to say, you know, I I'm I'm on Team Google here, but I feel like it's going to be really hard to beat Amazon on this. They have got some amount of buying and selling power. Definitely. I mean, yeah. some amount. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's almost incomprehensible uh, the sort of wall that Google specifically is up against. Yeah. When you have a I don't know how many transactions per day go through uh, Amazon checkouts. I mean, it's, but like, it's crazy. It, it must be. But if everyone is reminded that they could have a an Amazon Alexa or whatever they call them, Echo in the house, yeah. um, then and they buy it, then why would they then come along and say, well, actually, I don't like it. I'm going to get a Google Home or a Google Nest Mini or, or something like that. It's it's they're already bought into amazon it's it's there they know they they trust a brand because they shop there it's 
it's one of these things. Plus, uh, we talked about Pixel last night ourselves, yeah, yeah, a little bit. and kind of who has a Pixel. So, where's the benefit? Where's the brand loyalty? Sure, well, I think Go- Google me, Google people will do I mean, it. No, but- for me, it's just it's a better assistant. So, so absolutely, when, and, and yeah. this is why you know I'm I'm torn by this because if you look at my usage patterns at home, I talk to Google's assistant about the important stuff. Yeah, but I talk to Alexa about menial the, tasks, the, the turning on the lights and locking my door. I never ask Alexa for the weather. No, I, I never ask her about. Uh, and I just said the keyword, everybody's machine's going off. Uh, yeah, but I never, I never ask her about like, you know, my calendar because she doesn't have access to it anyway. Cause Google has way better access to my calendar since it's Google calendar. Yeah. Um, I, I don't ask her about my flights cause Google keeps track of that. I don't ask her about, you know, like maps and traffic because Google and Waze do a way better job. Um, so she's just kind of stupid. And she's not getting <laughs> yeah. really smarter because I'm not giving her the data for her to get she smarter. She can't. About yeah, me. she can't learn. Yeah. So that's why, like, I don't want to say this, but like, I want to be on Team Amazon. But Team Amazon, the only thing they're doing for me right now is turning on and off my lights and letting me shop for cheap things and cheaply and quickly. Buy gummy bears when you don't need them. And buy. I mean, I'm a big fan of the gummy yeah, bears. So of course, yeah. it wasn't like. It was a crazy purchase in the quantity of gummy bear, but not so much because I like gummy bears. Right? Yeah. Okay. So the other thing we want to talk about is, I don't know if you saw, if you've been following the crazy Huawei ban. It's something that hasn't affected me. Um, it's well, something it if you had a Huawei. If, if I had a Huawei, yeah. But, because um, I think a lot of Europeans don't understand that this is not just about the US and China. No, absolutely in a not. stupid way. This is about the Huawei losing the access to Google, meaning Which is that big. if you have a phone and you need it updated... So, so the, the good news here is for, for, especially for your audience in Europe, is that the Huawei ban is being, uh, hasn't been removed. No. But the temporary, so when they initiated the Huawei ban, a stupid government, they uh, decided that, you know, uh, phones that already had all the Google and stuff, all the products that already had uh, Google services on it could continue to be updated for a certain amount of months. I think it was six month duration till November. And this has now been extended by another six months. Okay. So that's the news. I'll link to a story. So it's like a, a ruling. Um, we'll give you permission as long as you comply to our kind of wants and needs. I don't know and, what the details are. I'm going to yeah. put the story in there. It is basically a story uh, that many people have reported, but my old alma mater and gadget, it's a New York Times story. So Trump administration set to extend Huawei license. So basically, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden the Mate 30 Pro and the Honor 9X Pro, which are the first two phones that don't have Google mobile services, are going to suddenly work again with Google. It just means that if you have a a P30 Pro or like a phone that already had Google, it it can get updates for another six months. Okay. So that's actually pretty good news today. But we were were expecting and we're waiting actually for... Uh, a complete drop of the ban on the devices side. So the ban's not going to go away in the sense that yeah, because it worked too. That, that was... idiotic government still wants to block them from the the base stations and the networking gear. But in terms of device like terminals, phones, laptops, uh, there is a potential the the possibility that they're going to let that go away because yeah. apparently what's happening is U.S. companies like Google and Facebook and Uh, you know, Qualcomm and Microsoft and Intel that all do business with Huawei are uh, petitioning the government very strongly. They're saying, this is is stupid, uh, idiotic, we want you to change it. And apparently there is some reception 
um, in, in our regime right now about it. So anyway, uh, but that's another small bit of news that happened in the last few days. And the final one is not really news. I don't know how you're familiar with Nubia. Not at all. Okay, do you guys have those in France? Um, you live in France, and yeah, you're, I mean, you, we, you're from Scotland. We have, so. uh, yeah, I am. But, but the the France is a weird market. Oh, I know, it's weird. But I mean, you spill. You you do have lots of connections back home in, in yeah. the United Kingdom, so you probably talk to your friends there. Do they do they see Nubia devices? It's not something you that ever comes that. onto the radar. I mean, the the majority of people are iPhone users, yeah, or yeah. they'll they'll use a a Huawei, or they'll use something else. So, I mean. The, it's not something, and certainly not in France. It's not if you, if you're a French customer, you're using um, la- six months ago last year's tech anyway. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you're getting on your carrier. You don't get the newest devices. So, so, so. Nubia is an interesting one because they're they're mostly they're like so ZT. They're originally were part of ZT like as a sub brand, yeah. And then they spawned off like ZT. Let them go, fly away, little bird. <laughs> and so they're now an independent Chinese phone company. And the the reason they're in, interesting is because they've been making gaming phones mostly, the Red Magic series. And the Red Magic phones are really affordable, really high performance gaming phones. So like Snapdragon 855 Plus sells for $450 US, you know, like, <laughs> wow, right? Yeah. Um, and um, they've also, for a long time now or a few years, made like cheap phones, flagship phones, just normal phones. Like, you know, they're a small player. And, and even for China, they're a small player. But um, last year at CS, they showed a phone that solved the, um, you know, the, the not having a notch problem. Okay. By, like, there's several ways you can do that, right? Yeah, One right. is to have a pop-up camera, that motorized, that comes out. And another way is the way they solved it. They put a second display on the back yep. that covers most of the back of the phone. And then you can use that back display completely as a normal display to pick your side but you get a smaller display and then the cameras are there so you can do a selfie with the rear display yeah and then so it, it negated the yeah need you don't for, need yeah. a pop-up you use the main camera and anyway That's it. they showed a kind of a product that was out in other parts of the world at csus for the and they said we're gonna do something like this for the u.s market at some point and we're like yeah maybe you know it's newbie it's not a big company u.s market is probably not a big market for them um, and then sure enough, they launched this Nubia Z20 in August and it came out and it's basically a, a more modern version of this phone they showed at CS. And uh, the reason I bring it up is because I've been playing with this phone on and off for almost a month and a half now. I've had, I've had a review in it. I've mentioned on the show a few times, but The Verge dropped there a review of it. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because a lot of people, a lot of big publications haven't reviewed this phone, even though it is available on Nubia's website in the US. And I think it's also sold by like, you know, some of our uh, stores like B&H and maybe okay, Amazon yeah. or whatever. And so you can readily buy it with a warranty, with support in the U.S. And very few pub- big publications have reviewed it. So um, I'll, I'll link to this in the show notes. But check out some B- uh, Byford's review on The Verge uh, of the Nubia Z20 or Z20. And it's uh, it's an interesting phone. I've really enjoyed using it. It's a super high-end specs for a very reasonable cost. I think it's in the $500 US range. Okay. It has Snapdragon 855 Plus. Right. A triple rear camera system with the usual culprits, you know, telephoto, regular, and ultra-wide. I mean, spec-wise, this thing is loaded. And despite having two displays and a large battery, the battery doesn't seem to be taking a hit from having two displays because they rarely run at the same time. But you can take a photo 
of someone and you're looking at the front display and have the the photo you're taking okay. of them displayed so you on find the rear back, yeah. so they can see themselves and they can adjust themselves. It's very vain. Um, <laughs> it has, yeah, it has some interesting features like that. It has uh, also a thing where if you're in gaming mode, um, the rear has like this glowing pattern, you know, kind of like the Razer phone does, okay. but instead of a permanent etched in the metal yeah. and plastic and, and glass like pattern, it's, you know, completely programmable because it's got a full on 720p five point something inch display in the back. Um, and then there's another mode where I think you can uh, like have um, an always on ambient display in the back. So it has like no notifications in time. Okay. And uh, it knows which way is facing up when you put it down. So it shows you the notification. On the You're right. selling it to me. No, I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> and so the, the, I just was like, you know, I wanted to talk about the Z20 again on the show. And I was like, it's kind of like been around for a while now. And Do you think it's one of these things that because it's it's not, it's, its name isn't in lights, like Yeah, pi- I mean, I Pixel, think it's, it's very obscure. Yeah. But it's a good phone. I played with it for a while. And I'm just glad that The Verge finally reviewed it. Because I really haven't seen that many reviews. You say they the pulled players. it, though? Hmm? Did you say they pulled the, the review or not? No, no. They oh, reviewed it. They reviewed they, it. Okay. They, what I'm saying is a lot of the publication you'd expect to review this phone just didn't touch it. Like right. They, I they got didn't you. mention yeah. it, which I think is interesting. I, but I they mean, have they have their eyes on clicks and views. And, yeah, yeah. And you know. There's not a headline grabber, is it? Yeah, I was just excited to see that they covered it. So yeah. It sounds sounds like a bit of a device for the money. I mean, it's not it's not bad. Um, what is So what is your take right now? Like you cover a lot of IoT and home automation. What's the hot thing? What's the thing that my listeners who are early adopters, tech savvy people should be watching out for? I mean, obviously the whole smart speaker thing is a thing, but it's that's a thing. everybody. That's not, that, that's, that's, that, that's the starting block. Right. If, if you want to start a smart home, get yourself a smart speaker. Find one that works for you. Find one that works with you. Alexa doesn't often work with you. It sort of works for you. you right, know? right, right. Um, so do that. That's your first thing. And then see what products or what you think is going to make your life so easier. The, the Samsung Bixby washing machine. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That. <laughs> um, I, I've been doing smart home stuff personally in my own home before I started talking about it and then, and like writing about bits and pieces. And I started with, the premium high-end expensive stuff. So Hue, um, Philips Hue lights. Right, yeah, they're great. Google everything. Uh, smart switches from Wemo, um, which are like, uh, in euros, like 40 or 50 euros per switch. Wow. And it, it's too much. It's I mean, you end, you're, you end up two or three thousand of anything in the hole before you've got what you want out of it. And the more I dig and the more I... Because I... I don't mind paying that to find out that it's useless and then I'll find something else. So I go for, um, lots, lots of different products, test what works for me and then work on recommendation for other people. And I would say, first thing to do is evaluate your house. Mm -hmm. What do you want to automate? So, um, primary things are televisions so that you can keep them wires hidden. You can find a plug, um, put some conduit down, make sure there's a Wi-Fi plug. It gets rid of the the uh, switching of the television on and off for right. a start. You know, one of those things. Um, IR blasters that you can program to do everything so that you don't need a universal remote or any remote controls in the house, uh, apart from maybe your uh, Fire Stick remote or something like that, you know. Yeah. Um, 
switches in general, uh, for light switches, uh, switches for random devices that are difficult to get to, perhaps, or things that you don't have immediate access to, but if you were to say, uh, Alexa or Hey Google, go and switch off the the washing machine or switch on the water heater or any anything like that, you can put an inline switch in. And I've found that you can do this really cheaply. Right. So from smart home stuff, if you want to start, get yourself a smart speaker. That's That's the thing. So they can start to learn your voice and you can get used to just barking orders at your home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because it's a kind of a an alien thing. When yeah. you first start doing it, you kind of feel weird. Weird. Yeah. yeah. I mean, weird's the best way, but you also feel kind of bad that you're shouting at your your house to do stuff. What's um, the second thing? The second thing, uh, evaluate your home. What do you want to automate? Third thing, start buying Wi-Fi switches. I mean, it's as simple as that. So. I would recommend Sonoff basic Wi-Fi switches. They're about $4, $5 mm-hmm. uh, per switch. Uh, super easy. You don't need to be an electrician to put them in line. You yeah. just snip the cord. Put them on. Put yeah. them on. Wireless setup's dead easy. You can uh, you can do that with as many things as you want. I think there's no limit as yeah. far as I've found as to how many things you can, you can put onto your... Uh, uh, account network yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're obviously limited by your own network if, yeah, yeah. if you've got device limits um and then from that point start enjoying it you know get used to it and then you, it becomes addictive you'll end up uh automating lights where you don't need automated lights and you'll end up doing everything mad but it becomes addictive and fun and eventually you'll be able to sit walk into your house and your house works for you yeah i mean that that's basically how it works for me i walk into my uh, doorway garage port and it illuminates i open the door with an rfid so i don't have a key for my house um i walk through that um the door there's a sensor the lights come on the patio decking lights come on you walk up the stairs everything's there you don't need to think about switches you get to the front door. I have a key for the front door. You walk in and then there's wireless light switches everywhere in case you want to do that. Or you can just say, Google, I'm home. Yeah. You know, and then yeah, yeah. she'll go, welcome home. Thank you very much. And uh, the lights, certain lights come on depending on what routines you have. And, you know, yeah. the the rest is, you know, the world's your oyster when it comes to home yeah. automation. But don't be intimidated by it, I think is the biggest takeaway. Yeah. And you don't, you know, like you said, there's really cheap switches. There's really stri- cheap um, LED dimmable, like non just one color, right? But yeah, LED yeah. dimmable lights. You can buy those in U.S. Like Home Depot sells like Zigbee lights for I think less than nine dollars U.S. Uh, but not just Home Depot, pretty much any hardware store. And I think there's Wi-Fi lights as well. Yeah. So I mean, it's don't let that intimidate you. It's not too hard. There's lots of choice, but if you want to go for something that you might know and feel comfortable with, pick up a a set of lights and a small hub yeah, controller exactly. from IKEA. I mean, IKEA yeah. do them, and they're they're, they're not expensive. Just coming to the US with their home automation. Oh, really? Product. They're a little behind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know in the US they just started the blinds the blinds yeah Yeah, i mean we don't even have those oh i thought you guys did that first no well i've been trying to buy one for (laughs) so long and i hadn't found one yet so um yeah i mean that's that's the thing pick pick something there are things out there 
buy a pack. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, start adding to it. Yeah, Yeah, enjoy it. And it's it's a lot easier and a lot cheaper than it used to be. If it's, so much cheaper. If it's something you thought you should hold off on because you've heard some horror stories of people spending thousands of dollars on Hue lights. Don't even I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Philips, Philips Hue is really, really nice and really high end. It is. But I think that you don't have to go that way. Now you don't, there's no. all kinds of really good options. I mean, they, they, yeah. are, they are the number one. They are the um, industry standard, yeah. if you like, which makes them... The best, probably not, but they're certainly the industry standard. Yeah, and they, you know, and they they banked heavily on RGB programmable, like yeah. multicolor. I mean, they were which, kind of first to at mass is, market. You know, yeah. yeah, and they deserve that spot. So, Darren, we should wrap up. Okay. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Your social media handles. I know you write for Fandroid, of course. Uh, pitch whatever you think. I've had Google delete most of my internet history, so <laughs> <laughs> um, the best places to find me probably are on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, both at Darren Miller, that's D-A-R-R-E-N-M-I-L-L-A-R. Um, I also, you can also go to, I mean, if you s- search my name, Darren Miller, uh, I'm usually, depending on where you are geographically, I'm usually first on the first page. Yeah. And um, Fandroid, I, of course. And Fandroid, yeah. Go to Fandroid.com and you'll find me writing about Kind of all sorts of things. Uh, don't come to me for stats. I don't know any stats. Uh, I, <laughs> I know what I like and I know what uh, other people are interested in. So I kind of talk about that in a more personal way, which is um, kind of how I how I roll. So uh, if you want to know how a device can make you feel or change your emotions, <laughs> then I can tell you kind of <laughs> how, how it makes you feel. But um, yeah, no stats. Don't, right. don't, don't test me. Cool. And you know where to find me, folks, uh, on the internet. I'm at Tankgirl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L on Twitter and in Instagram. That stands for Tankgirl, like the comic book. But I dropped the vowels because I'm special, because I invented that before Flickr did, because I've been on the internet forever. Uh, but uh, check out my Twitter so that you can comment and discuss the show. If you want to ask me questions or correct me about something, by all means, do that on Twitter. Uh, you should also follow the Instagram with the same handle, Tankgirl, T-N-K-G-R-L, because that's where some pretty photos pop up. Photos I take with various phones I review, photos of the phones I review, uh, etc., etc. And then, of course... There is a podcast at mobiletechpodcast.com. If you stumble on this show by accident and you want to subscribe, there's an RSS feed at that URL. That's old school. Uh, probably the easier ways to use Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or Overcast or even Spotify. You can find us everywhere. If you do subscribe and listen a little bit, please rate us and review us. And I say us, this is me and my guests. Uh, you know, put a review, put a rating. It helps, right? Uh, And then finally, uh, I want to say there's a YouTube channel that goes with a podcast, youtube.com slash Miriam Joire. That's my full name spelled out after the YouTube URL. You'll find my name in my Twitter account if you don't know how to spell it. Just tack that on to the end of the YouTube URL and you'll find some videos, content that supplements the podcast with uh, unboxings, reviews, hands-ons, that kind of stuff. So check that out. I, I was at the LA event last week of the Razor, so I have a video on that. Uh, if you listen to last week's podcast, we covered it extensively. This is the kind of stuff you'll find on the YouTube channel. And then finally, I want to thank our uh, sponsor, Audible. Audible.com is where it's at for audiobooks. If you like reading books, but for some reason you can't read them because you're driving all day, you're a delivery driver, something like that, Audible is a really great place to get your bookworm going, basically. So, uh, you know, they have a great selection. I love that a lot of their books are read by the authors, which really makes for a really unique experience. 
And uh, if you want to support the show, we have a special deal through Audible. So you get 30-day free trial, and you get to keep one of the books that you download, uh, which is pretty awesome, even if you decide to not renew at the end of the 30 days. Um, and by clicking through the link in the show notes, you can actually support the podcast. It helps us if you consider joining for that 30-day free trial. And if you're already uh, an Audible customer, of course, it doesn't apply to you. But if you are not, please consider clicking through the link. It's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. So please check it out. Thanks to Audible for being a longtime sponsor of the show. Really appreciate it. And thanks to you, Darren, for being on the show today. It's my pleasure. Great to meet you in person. Finally yeah, finally. As well. <laughs> it's like one of those things where we saw yeah, each other on the internet. The internet but, yeah. is a big place. <laughs> so folks, stay tuned. We'll have another show next week. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com